my husband Alex and I, I always have to mention him, he does exist, uh, yeah, he's pretty good looking, uh, we're entering our second year of marriage and um, he often reminds me that I'm like a good wine, I just get better with age. Uh, not really sure how to take that, is that a compliment? Um, but hey, give credit when credit's due. Uh, however, on occasion we do enjoy a good glass of wine, who doesn't? And I'm always fascinated by the descriptions on the label. Most labels detail the body and the aroma and the texture of the wine. Go figure. For example, this wine has a very tasty taste. The colour is somewhat white but not like glue or paper. It pairs goodish with various foods and hints of other stuff can be tasted, such as that glorious taste of the time you walk through your child's room without stepping on a Lego. Most people will say stuff like, ah, oh, this is delicious, or what type of grape is it? Open before serving, don't forget to save the cork for that Pinterest craft you'll never do. <laughs> In all seriousness, how the wine tastes, how it's received, how it's experienced, and the impression it leaves on the palate is largely determined by the vine from which it was extracted. It can then be shaped by other processes such as crushing and fermenting and refining. However, the vine from which the grapes were harvested ultimately determines what wine is produced. And this links in really well with the concept of the vine and the branches in John 15. So, Elle, if you can shoot that up on the screen. Cool. All right, let's walk through this. And this is from the message version. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that now. Um, I'm the real vine and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You, already pr you are already pruned back by the message which I have spoken. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grape by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home in me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask for will be listened to and acted upon. And this is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I have loved you the way the Father has loved you. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain intimately at home in my love. And this is what I've done. Kept my Father's command and remained at home in his love. So to provide some background for this passage of scripture, it's pretty dense. Uh, it took over after the sorry, it took place after the Passover celebration, as Jesus and his disciples made their way east to the Garden of Gethsemane. Therefore, this passage is designed to calm and to instruct and to strengthen the disciples um, for the harrowing 24 hours they were to face next. The literary format is an allegory, so I found this was quite interesting. Uh, it's an expanded metaphor or simile that is used to draw comparisons between objects for the purpose of illustration. So um, there's this sort of juxtaposition between the vine and the branches, the vine and the branches all the way through. Jesus draws on the agricultural motifs of his day to deliver a potent and dramatic teaching. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit further by surveying the characters in the story. The first uh, character I want to look at is that of the farmer. 
Um, in other translations, he's referred to as the vine dresser. Um, and what we can be sure of is that the farmer is responsible for tending to the vines to ensure that they bear fruit. He achieves this by cutting off and discarding dead branches and pruning back those which already bear fruit. Jesus refers to, in this scripture, he refers to the farmer as my father. And this kind of has a twofold, I guess, implication. The first is that it signifies Jesus' unique relationship to the father, but at the same time, it also affirms Jesus' deity. So he's talking about him, uh, God being his father. Um, there we go. The vine is the next part I want to explore. Uh, Christy might be helpful in this area. Uh, in a horticultural sense, the vine sustains the branches by providing them with life-giving water and nutrients with which to produce. The vine, sorry, the branches and ultimately the fruit of the harvest is entirely and utterly dependent on the vine. Without it, there can be no fruit. And Jesus refers to, in this passage, himself as the true vine. That is, the genuine vine. The vine which stands in contrast to the counterfeit, fictitious and simulated vine of his time. And he exhorts us to abide and be joined with him, the true vine. And the third kind of character, I guess, in this um, allegory is the branches. And this one's much simpler, so they're explicitly identified as us. We are the branches, Jesus' disciples. And he reminds us that the fruit of our branches or the fruit of our lives is evidence of our intimate and organic relationship with him. There we go. It's nicely unpacked. I could stop there. But <laughs> I wanted to kind of highlight three points that um, have really resonated with me from um, this little tiny little bit of scripture. So I think that's really lovely that God's word is so rich and deep. Uh, the first point is this idea of pruning. Now, I was going to do a demonstration. Um, this is Alex's bonsai. He has quite a few. Um, he has wired branches, which I'm not allowed to cut off. So for the purpose of this demonstration, I'm going to prune back this branch. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. So I'm pruning back that one. I'm going to go in and I'm going to prune back this one as well. So what I'm doing is I'm taking off they're supposed to be dead, but they're not. Taking off some of the branches, and there's a purpose for this. Oh my gosh, guys, with bated breath, don't cry. There we go. And the tree, or the vine in this, this case, has been pruned back expertly. Um, <laughs> if you were a gardener, you'll know that plants don't flourish without attentive care. So if you're looking to grow houseplants, neglect and apathy are the enemies of growth. Don't, don't leave them alone. We know that dead and diseased branches need to be cut off and discarded as they're no longer able to sustain life and ultimately they will hinder and stifle the growth of the plant. Other branches need to be pruned back at certain points in their life to, or at certain seasons during the year, sorry, to help the plant conserve energy, build up strength and access nutrients in its core. So this little part here. This is so that they can flourish in seasons to come. And Jesus tells us that in this scripture, the farmer, i.e. God, tends to the vines, cutting back the dead wood, ensuring that the vine continues to produce fruit. Um, I want to suggest to you tonight that this pruning is necessary for our growth, and in fact, it causes us to flourish. Let's take a moment to reflect. What are some of the dead branches in your life? For me, it might be relationships that direct my focus away from God, Commitments that take my time away from my family, unhealthy stress, busyness, 
idols of money and success and reputation. What are some branches in your life that could do with a prune? Your ability to trust God that he'll provide for every aspect of your life? Your patience towards your spouse, your children or your loved ones? Or attitudes towards others that you find challenging to love? In the process of being pruned and refined, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable and it will hurt. But it starts by allowing ourselves to be transformed by the message of the gospel and opening ourselves up to the truth that we're being shaped like Christ daily. Pruning allows us to grow and flourish. It gives us life and life in abundance. The next concept that I thought really stood out to me was this idea of fruit. Um, And this is much simpler again. So Jesus is a true vine and we as his disciples are to be joined to him. He is the sustaining life source of our life and apart from him we can do nothing. Our lives and the fruit of our lives are utterly dependent on him. Elsewhere, Jesus reminds us again that a a tree is recognised by its fruit. Therefore, when we're connected to the true vine, our character, our habits and our patterns of thinking will be evidence of our relationship with and connection to the one who sustains us. That is Jesus, the true vine. If someone was to read the label on the bottle of your life, what would it say? Would it say that you had a bitter mouth taste with hints of anger and offence and the aroma of greed and haughtiness? Would it say that your life was characterised by the flavour of forgiveness and mercy and compassion and was pleasing to the palate, easy to be enjoyed with company and friends? By our love, others will know that we are his disciples and by the fruit of our lives, others will know the vine by which our branches are sustained. And the third point I want to make, so we've looked at pruning, we've looked at fruit, and this one I think is deeply personal, and that's this notion um, of abiding. If Michael Cunningham was here, he'd be able to help me out with my Greek, so just give me a bit of grace there. (laughs) Um, The Greek word used in this passage is called meno or meno. Uh, It's a verb which means to stay, to remain, to continue, to dwell or to endure. And I think this is really beautiful because it can also mean to continue to be present, to be held continually and to remain as one. That's really beautiful, just that one simple word. Jesus invites us to make our home in him as he makes his home in us. It's a mutual abiding, a continued and sustained abiding presence. And what's more is that Jesus calls us to enter into this relationship in a way that is intimate and organic. It is an unforced rhythm of grace. I don't know about you, but I find hotels very uh, strange places. You enter a place that's for all intents and purposes a home away from home. Yes, there is a bed, but it's not mine. There's a couch and it's not mine. And there's a telly and it's not mine. And there may be echoes of home, but we can't abide in it. We just reside in it. Got a little bit of a rhyme there. Uh, (laughs) Did work really hard on that one, guys. Jesus wants us to make our home in him. He wants us to abide and not reside in him. Uh, As young adult leaders, we host a fortnightly young adult connect group in our home. Uh, And in the days days leading up to the meeting, Alex and I set about in a frenzy cleaning the house and uh, preparing it for our guests. We call it our show home clean. (laughs) We make sure that the dishes are washed and they're put away, the floors are vacuumed, the bathroom's clean, my goodness. The floor drobe miraculously makes its way back into the cupboard, I don't know how. 
And finally, the mood is set with low lighting, a record being played and some strategically placed Doritos. And whilst this is admirable, it's not what Jesus wants for your life. Jesus doesn't want to be a visitor to the home of your heart. He wants to live there permanently. This means, this is the hard part, getting messy means being vulnerable. It means allowing God to enter the recesses of your heart and to rearrange your living room, so to speak. It means allowing God to tear down those walls and rebuild broken foundations, to renovate and renew our character, our habits and our patterns of thinking. Yes, it may hurt and yes, it is costly. This abiding means that we invest into the true vine and not into cheap counterfeited alternatives which seem to be so generously supplied by the world around us. Yet Jesus promises to listen and he does. And Jesus has promised to act and he does. He is the true vine and we're called to abide in him and him in us. Separated, we can do nothing. So this is coming to a close now. How do we abide in Jesus? There is no simple three-step process, no magic trip. The answer is really simple. We make ourselves at home in his love.